Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your guide to the whitetail woods. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light, go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson, and today I'm speaking with Greg Litzinger, who has made a name for himself by killing pressure bucks on public land out east. All right, folks, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. And you guessed it, this is definitely not Mark Kenyon's voice. It's your old backup QB, Tony. Mark is actually off in Europe this week, and he's in a little town in Germany called Berghausen or Berghusen, something. Anyway, in that little town in Germany, every single year, men, well, I'm assuming this is only for men, but I could be totally wrong compete for the best beard and the best mustache. Now, I know Mark has been dreaming of bringing that trophy home for a long time for that mustache, so I hope he has a good showing out there. Now, today, I have a New Jersey bow hunter on named Greg Litzinger. Greg is a diehard public land hunter who really understands how to deal with pressure and who lives to scout throughout the winter. In fact, that's the key to a lot of his success and also the topic of much of this episode. Now, even if you never set foot on public land, I think you'll be able to glean some useful insight from Greg because he's as legit as they come in the whitetail space. Greg, how you doing, man? What's happening? We gotta. We have to thank our mutual friend, uh, Clint Campbell, there over at Truth From The Stand podcast for making this yeah. happen. And I, I reached out to Clint when I was looking for people who were, I'm like, who's the most badass winter scouter you know and he listed about 20 people and then he said or you could just call greg <laughs> yeah clint's uh we've become really good friends here these last you know i don't think i was one of his first few guests on his podcast he was just getting started and we just like 
yeah, he lives like an hour and a half from me. We just formed a, you know, a good friendship, you know, uh, just a good, not just a hunting friendship, just a friendship all around, you know, he's a, he's a solid dude. Dude, he, I get jealous of Clint. (laughs) He's going to hear this, (laughs) but that he can put trail cameras out and find monsters. And I'm like, dude, like you're finding all these megas. It's like, how do you find these jumbos? He's like, ah, it's through a camera. I thought it'd be a good spot. And it's just like this giant deer. And I'm like, I'll throw out 20 cameras and get like maybe one Pope all season. I'm like, I don't know how you do it, man. Like, so I was like, once he kind of figures that out, the, the, his, his, his kill mode, I guess, gets in kill mode. There's deer in trouble, man. Like he's got the stuff. He just needs to, you know, tweak a few things and he's, he's going to be a, a world beater. Yeah, he's he's always on good deer out there in Pennsylvania. Yeah, now you. I, I don't know if people who are listening to this can tell, but you don't sound like a typical wire to hunt guest. You sound like you live in a different place. Where are you where are you at right now? Uh, South Jersey. Yeah, uh, and that's why not North Jersey, South Jersey. <laughs> so for somebody who lives in Minnesota and doesn't know the difference, what's the difference? Why do, why do you wow. specify that? Because there's in Jersey, it's like three. It's like North, Central, and South. You know, in South Jersey, we're relatively flat. We got salt marshes, pine barrens, uh, a lot of ag. You know, centrals, more farm, rolling hills. North, you get into the the mountains and uh, a little more uh, developed areas, I guess, if you will. A lot of near traffic and PA, like Route 80 runs through there. So you get PA, New York, New Jersey all kind of meet up there. So there's there's an influx of different different kind of people i guess not in a bad way but it's different than south jersey you know what i have to confess something so i live in the suburbs of the twin cities and people hear that and all of the time they're like oh that's the worst you live in like where the riots were and everything i'm like no no like do you understand how big the cities are you know like i'm not mm-hmm. like in downtown minneapolis and i you know i've killed pope and young bucks on public land 10 minutes from my house like i'm it's not yeah. like i'm in city city but yes. when I hear somebody say they're from Jersey, I don't yeah. think of anything other than a city. Like I don't, yeah. I don't think, cause my, my buddy Tim Kent hunts out there too. And he's always describing it. And like, I have this bias. I've never been there. <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? It's like when I had one of my old podcasts, I had a few guests on from the UK and you know, nothing sounds dumber than some random Midwestern dude talking about, you know, like, the UK, like, like he understands what it is. I'm like, I don't even really know. Like, I don't even know if I could find this on a map. And then when I hear you talk about Jersey, I'm like, and you were, you know, we were talking on the phone the other day and you're like, yeah, you know, I hunt public land out here. And I'm like, I have such a skewed view of where you live. And it makes me feel like an asshole because people do that to me all the time. Yeah. Well, Jersey, it's a, it's a pretty cool state. It's a very, it's a tough state to live in, you know, as, as, you know, not to be political, but it's it's a Democrat-run state, and there's some laws that it's just strange to me and foreign to me. But this is where I live. But it's a state that the fishing game to do a good job of setting land aside. When I got into hunting, I'm going to date myself here with this. It's thirty, well, so be thirty-one years ago. It's not much public land in South Jersey. There's like the bigger like pine barrens, but in Pennsylvania, grew up. Everybody hunted one piece, basically Lehigh or Wingate. It was like Army Corps of Engineer type terrain. You know, and reed deer, just big reed deer, big bucks. How, and how big state, are those spots are, that you're talking about? A couple hundred acres. There'd oh, be, wow. I mean, there'd be Lehigh Road. You know, uh, people that hopefully some listeners here will will know that road. But there'd be 
15 trucks on the high road and it's only maybe a, a mile long there'd be 15 people hunting that and it's like everybody hunted there it was just where they're in place you can hunt and as the years went on they implemented the ant restrictions some zones and they the state started buying up some old farms farmers were you know selling it to the state so the state bought a lot of especially in south jersey a lot of farms a lot of big farms and they started like piecing some things together and you know, in a short amount of time, it seemed like the, the state land grew really quickly. And it was nice uh, for us public land guys because, you know, it gave us a little room to spread out. Uh, and North Jersey, like I said, you got the Worthington State Forest. There's Jenny Jump. There's Stoke State Forest. Massive blocks of unbroken timber. I mean, huge. For a small state, you know, we're the Garden State. So people think. New Jersey, they don't think Garden State, but there's a lot of agriculture, a lot of farms, uh, north, central, and south. So you can hunt any type of terrain you want in New Jersey. We have the mountains, we have unbroken, you know, the pine barrens, unbroken timber, just sandy soil, big rack bucks, tiny bodies. You know, we got farm deer. I mean, we have salt marsh. You know, you can learn to hunt deer and any type of terrain that a deer exists across the, the country. You know, it's a, it's a good state to learn. So you said you, did you start hunting deer on public? Yeah. I've, uh, first, you know, always hunted public. Uh, my dad, you know, we, he was a shift worker at DuPont's, you know, he struggled family sick. So it's not like we had money to splurge on leases if, or even like permission. We'd get a few pieces here and there, but basically just wherever we can get in, you know, canoe, mostly canoe. We did a lot of canoe hunting. Um, but yeah, it's the public climber being a, uh, use the the term mobile hunter you know my first climber climber tree stand was a baker like my dad's baker that death trap of a yeah, tree one of the stand. widow makers <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i went for you know i had the baker tree stand and it was so heavy i was tiny when i got into hunting it was hard for me to climb up more than 10 feet like i was exhausted and then the log you know i had a, a light hang on with screw on steps which we weren't allowed to use but my dad we did anyway because that's what everybody did <laughs> and loggy bio climbers um lone wolf climber lone wolf hang on and then in the saddles and that's been you know i've been mobile since day one you know i i have the exact same kind of origination story i I didn't i didn't hunt solely public land when i first started but we hunted a lot of it and i was mobile just because we didn't we had one stand like Mm -hmm. you know it was you put it up you took it down you know, yeah. and I, I remember, you know, when climbers came out, it was like, oh my God, this is going to be the answer to all our problems. And then you take them out and, you know, those early ones were horrible, horrible. <laughs> but, but the best we had. So you're like, I'm going to yeah, figure out yeah. how to make it work. Was it the, and the worn and sweat plywood tree stand and it's like the, the rubber strap or the, the APIs with the chain wrapped in rubber, like the motorcycle chain. Yep. Oh, Lord, people don't know how good that people just get into hunting now have it's a really good time to be a hunter. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, when I started out, I had a, I think it was, I think it was Amacker was the company and it was, you know, crazy heavy steel stand yeah. chain, like you said, but you know, it's, it's what we had. And then my dad would make stands out of wood, but he would make like a, a platform that would attach with a chain. So they were like, 47 pounds and they were built like I, I, this is really hard to describe but they were built like with a ch- almost a chamber below them so the supports and the platform and everything would form like 
three quarters of a box almost. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. you'd knock that top of that stand and it would just echo through the yeah. bottom of there. And you're just like, <laughs> these, <laughs> they were such pieces of shit, but it's like, yeah. you know, if we had spots where we wanted to hang a stand, like on a field edge or something and just mm-hmm. leave it, like that's what we used. And man, you're right. Like the, the way that we can hunt now and the access, I mean, even the clothing we have access now to yeah. is like, yeah. Yeah, I know we sound old, but man, hunters today, (laughs) the advantages are so different, you know, but it seems like it's sort of leveled off with pressure, you know, like Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're not onto something exclusive, it seems like even though we have really, you know, banging equipment now and a lot of advantage that way, it's like, man, if you're not on something that you're paying to hunt, you, the whole thing levels off quite a bit just because you have a lot more pressure out there. Mm -hmm. Agreed. It's uh. I mean, New Jersey, it's, it's one of the most populated states in the, in the region. It's not like you can, I mean, I, I deal with people either from eye shine, you know, ladder stands, you know, baiting's legal, crossbowing's legal. Like the last 10 years and like now with technology, cell cameras and all this stuff, it's, they, I hate calling it the game, but it has it completely changed, um, changed deer, you know, and it makes it finding a big buck uh, a little more difficult because now everybody has, I seen more cell cameras this year than uh, I care to even like imagine like everybody's running cell cameras and people that would never hunt, you know, or going into the woods. Cause we're getting a picture of a, you know, a picture of a deer. Most of them, you know, like I get pictures of people and it's like, wow, that dude's going in at 3 PM. It gets dark at five 30. I'm like, man, this isn't like the Midwest. Like, it's like, but they see it on, on YouTube. They see it on TV, you know, like it's a, it makes being on big deer on a regular basis. Very difficult. If you're not in it, like, like really in it, New Jersey will beat you up. And like, you got to want it like in a different way than most people do. You, you know, Cause you might, you might go months without seeing a good deer, like, uh, you know, or you could be on them, you know, from, from day one. Do you, do you have pretty, uh, like pretty liberal harvest out there. Cause I mean, when you talk about that and being able to being able to bait public private and, you know, crossbow legalization, all that stuff, is it, is it just a matter of, you know, your state game agency goes, you know, there's only so many places people are even allowed to hunt in this state. And so they want, we need they want deer kill. Yeah. Yeah. We can kill five bucks <laughs> from September to January. Have you ever Between had a year where you killed five? Three is the most I've got. And it was like where you have seasons where you can't do anything wrong. Like you just walk out of the woods, like, oh, there's a buck. Boom. Like that year, I killed three, three of my bucks all from the ground. Uh, you know, the, the one I, I killed him, I didn't find him, you know, until after the fact, but, you know, he was, you know, he was dead. But uh, yeah, so you can kill a lot of bucks if you want. Um, it makes, in some areas, you know, it's not to knock anybody, you know, um, but if you have a, a good, Two or three years ago, we had a lot of, I had a lot of great young deer, a lot on camera. I seen them. I was like, man, it's going to be a banger year. And then we had an extreme cold front during like doe day muzzleloader in January. And next year it was like a ghost town. Like all these deer got smoked, you know, because these deer never experienced cold like that. And there's going to be a pile of corn or a cut cornfield. Well, these deer are piling out there to eat and 200 yard muzzleloader, you know, it's just, you're just picking them off. Yeah, it's, you know, and that's it's like gun clubs, you know, all that stuff. Gun clubs come through. You got a lot of nice young deer. Like I said, not 
not to say anything bad about that. That's hunting is hunting, you know. Yep. But if the dude gets excited for a four pointer, you know, or a six pointer, hey, have at it, man. But you have ten people, twenty people doing that. Well, you really put a hurting on the next deer herd, you know. I guess the only way I can, you would deal with it would be the extreme weather, the snowfall, you know, yep. extreme snowfall. You get the winter kill. Well, we have good, you know, shotgun kills. It's like the same thing. Like some spots, it's like there's just nothing here, you know. And it's like you got to wait two or three years to get you know some age back in that area. Yeah, and sometimes it never comes back depending on the pressure. Did, when when they say, I, I was thinking, you know, when the state game agency is like, you know what? How about a five buck limit? That's like just that's like saying, how about just shoot unlimited bucks? Yeah, I mean, because very few people are going to fill that limit, but they're they're not going to stop. Yes, it's and that's true with like bow and gun, like Jersey. I mean, they'll they make you buy uh, a regular fall bow, and then end of October you have to buy a permit bow, which is another. $28 and $28 cause you got to buy a, a permit and then you got to buy a buck tag and then a, a permit for the zone you're hunting. So if you hunt, like I hunt three zones, well, for permit bow, it'll cost me a hundred bucks to hunt plus the $28 for the original license. And then if I want a gun hunt, well, there's another 30 bucks. If I want a winter bow hunt, there's another 30 bucks. So Jersey will don't nip and dime me to death. <laughs> yeah. They keep you coming back. Have you yeah. seen, you, you know, you, you kind of alluded to just, a, a high amount of pressure the whole your whole life hunting out there yeah. have you seen an uptick in like the last five years are you seeing more people out there uh i'm seeing more people by boat for sure um a lot of uh you know with youtube and and that this generation of hunting i guess hunters uh they say it they do it so crossbows legal so we get a lot of gun hunters that are, are bow hunting now um with the crossbow and a lot of the gun hunters come in by boat well now they're gonna come in by with the crossbow so a lot of my spots that were good fall are not so good anymore yeah, some yeah. of the swamps were just it's just not there it's in it's it's not worth it to wake up at two to catch a tide to go hunt somewhere or, or paddle you know you know far and, and walk through this you know waist deep swamp for a mediocre buck if you will you know it's and like i said it's it's hit or miss like some years it's amazing other years you're just like out here for like five days I'm like i ain't seen a deer i ain't heard them i ain't smelled them like no splashing in the water you know and it's like oh but that's just that's the way it goes i guess anywhere do, do you feel like uh, so i'm assuming when you say that that you used to have used to do some water access and it worked out pretty well for you and now because i feel the same way like there used to be some tricks like that yep. you could get away from people and it feels like there's no secrets left. And I, no, I know there's... like if you, if you're listening to this and you hunt out West and you elk hunt or whatever, an over the counter unit, it's the same deal. Like yeah. Yeah. there's not, you're not going to outwork the competition. No. Like you just, there's no, there's no Heidi, you know, honey, Heidi holes, I guess, if you will anymore, like the, everybody's got an aerial map, whatever software you're using, you got up to date imaging of as it's happening, you know? So it's like, it's hard to find, you know, those spots that were before you found them by accident, like, Oh, what's this? You know, when you 20 years ago, you find a funnel, all those buck signs, you know what it is. You hunt it, you start killing some deer, seeing some deer. And now you look at it, you're like, Oh, it's a funnel. Cause you got this, but when you're in it, you don't know what's there. It's like all those buck signs you're hunting, you're killing. Now from area to you're like, Oh, but, you know, it's like hunting the mountains, like saddles. So you go to any mountainous terrain, saddles, the easiest thing to pick out. You go to almost every saddle, human sign. 
Yeah. And deer will avoid that, even though it's a good bottleneck, you know, a pinch point, if you will. Deer just avoid them uh, during hunting hours. So bottlenecks around here in farm country and, and swamps, same way. And these deer are just, they're really, in, you know, they're surviving and they're, they're thriving in some areas. Man, I think... And I listen, I love Onyx. I love the tools that we have, but man, the, the way that that sort of leveled things off for people is incredible. I mean, you just yeah. think about, you know, we're, we're right in the heart of winter scouting right now. And this is a time when you get in and try to find rubs and figure some of that stuff out. And, you know, you used to just like stumble across a little Island in the swamp or something, you know, yeah. and you're like, Oh man, like this is yeah. freaking money. And now anyone and they almost every hunter out there can pull up their phone and find that and you know yep. whether they'll do the work to get in there but even if only a couple people do yep. or you know like you said you know if you wait for that tide to roll in and you go in you know you think man like not very many people are going to go buy a you know thousand yep. dollar or fifteen hundred dollar kayak just for that like no yep. tons of people yep. do that <laughs> like, yeah that shit's yep. everywhere now and it's like i I've last year and even this year, like hunting, I've, I've kind of put my phone in my pocket and I've gotten away from like trying to find precise pinpoint spots. And I've let just the deer sign and the terrain just go very old school, you know, and I, I find something, I'll just mark it real quick, you know, and then it kind of makes it fun again, less like a, uh, less monotonous, you know, I'm just kind of like, I'm almost like still hunting. I'm just following the sign. Yep. And, I'm, I'm finding areas, especially like some of the, the, the big woods I'm hunting by here by my house, you know, I'm finding areas that's got zero human pressure because you look at it on the map, you're like, there's nothing that's making that, you know, hunters go, Ooh, what's this deer know that that is a spot where people don't go. So deer like, Oh, party over here. And sometimes it's, it might only be a hundred yards off a cart road or 50 yards off a cart road. Everybody's just, you know, now with the e-bikes too, we got to deal with the e-bikes. They just blow right on past and these bucks are just hanging out watching all these people you know and i guess they've probably always always done that but i find that more and more in those overlooked spots and random spots people just walk past yeah i've dude i find that too where you know if i'm scouting bluffy country or river bottom country with like limited cover or real terrain that's easy to read it's like everybody's at the same level but if you get yeah. into some of that mono habitat, like big woods yeah. stuff, where you know an elevation change of twenty feet's a big one, they yeah. then when you get into that stuff and everything from overhead kind of looks the same, yeah. then you start realizing like the subtlety of deer movement and sign. Yeah. And I think I, I'm with you right there too on, you know, like especially right now when you're winter scouting, I'll I'll pick out spots on on X or whatever, and they're like, yeah. I'm I'm gonna go look at that. But the interesting stuff I find most of the time is between that and something else, just like yeah. following a whim. Yeah, total, total. It's not random because you're, you know, you're using your instincts that we've you know, honed over the years. But it's those spots that I find my biggest bucks, buck sign. Like in the big woods by my house, was it three years ago? I stumbled upon like hammer signpost ropes, like 30 of them in this one little block. So I put a bunch of cameras out there and it's like, a big buck would roll through there, but he would never rub on a rub. It was always the little guys. The big bucks knew it was just, you know, these little guys would tear up the rubs, like, you know, big old cedars and everything, like real tall, you know, like nice deer, but the bigger, older bucks would never rub. Some of the bigger bucks don't scrape. They just know that this is a hot spot. 
for some reason, I still can't figure out why all these rubs there because there's no terrain, there's no nothing, there's no edge. It's just a spot I think people don't go. And it's probably been that way for years because some of these rubs are old. And it's a smack dab in the middle of like nothingness. And it's like, it was by pure accident. I found them like, I remember it was like, because it's like the, we had a little bit of snow. And so you can kind of see, and I've just seen this rub, just like, like a beacon way out there. I was like, and I love rubs, big rubs, you know? And I seen that and I was like, I know what that is. And I've been in that piece of woods for the last 15, 20 years. And I'm like, you mark it, you know, it's like, I don't even know what is that. Like, it's, it, there's no nothing but all the bucks come through there. It's just Man. a weird, strange place, but it's so hard to get to unless they can, like, you know, airdrop from a parachute, you know, like you have to cross so many deer trails and so much laurel and so much briar swamp to get to it. Like, you kind of only get one or two sits. So if it ain't there, it's like you, you wait for that mid November and it's like nothing. But the the sign and the, the summer trail camera pictures, like, that's the spot to be. It might take me three or four years to kill a deer there, but that's where I'll be. You know? Yeah. Dude, I think sometimes, cause I, I think we look at a, a, a concentration of rubs like that, like that to me, that's my favorite thing. Like if I find <laughs> lots of rubs in a really tight area, I'm super interested yeah. in that. And I think we look at it a lot of times and we sell this like, okay, that's a staging area. Cause they bed it yeah. over here and they feed over there or, yeah. You know, there's like some deer explanation for it, but I think a lot of times, like you're talking about, it's because people aren't there. And so you have a whole bunch of bucks who know that's one spot. And so I don't know if that's correlated, you know, you bump into a bunch of strangers, if that's correlated to making more sign in that spot, just because there's so much like deer scent there. But it makes me wonder, because when you see, um, like I've, I've got a buddy who owns some land in Southwestern Wisconsin runs cameras on there all year and he has like brassica plot for a late season hunt, mm-hmm. you know, and you get these bucks that you've never seen. Like they weren't there all fall or summer. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden when, you know, the weather really sucks and they need that food source, you put all these deer who yeah. don't really know each other together. And then you're getting, you know, like images like over and over of bucks fighting and testing each other out. Yeah. And I'm like, I wonder if on public land during the season, there's just places where the bucks are like, Jeez, holy shit. Like I got to get somewhere where people aren't yes. and all the bucks, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them figure it out and they're just more prone to being a little more aggressive and making sign. Yeah. And just like, just cause they're all there together. I've, I've, I firmly believe that. You know, I had a conversation with uh, a guy at the Harrisburg show about rubs. Cause he's like, I found all these rubs and I was like, you know, explaining my thoughts on rubs. And we kind of came to the same conclusion. You know, it's just an area that a lot of pressure from all around and the pressures come from the out. And it's pushing these deer into the center. And most people aren't going to put that work to get in there, uh, especially like in October and November, because it's still a lot of, you know, there's a lot of high stem count stuff still happening in October and November. It's, you can't see very far, you know, limited visibility, but deer, you know, or they use all their senses. They have a lot better uh, senses than we do. So they might not see well, but they can smell and hear, you know. So I, I just, I firmly believe uh, that's, that's what's happening there.
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. When you talk about some of the stuff that you scout and where you hunt, it reminds me so much of some of the stuff that I hunt in like northern Wisconsin. But it also reminds me when you, when you think about a little area, you're talking about like that, where you, you know, maybe you go in and winter scout it now and you're like, man, at some point in the fall, this is where you kill that one thirty one forty, because of like, you know, the high stem count, like you're talking about, and just, just like the location of it. Then you go do a hunt, like in Iowa that we talked about that you said you never wanted to do. And you're like, yeah. I want to find that. Cause my instincts tell me find that spot and it doesn't exist and it doesn't freaking matter. Like you don't, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're looking for something you don't even need because it's, it's like the only way to get it done in some places and totally, I wouldn't say irrelevant, but not nearly as important in a place with a, you know, high amount of deer and maybe yeah. not the most pressure out there and a lot of like good quality deer. And so it's like, it's weird how different this becomes in the different places that you can hunt. And there's parts like I've hunted some private farms in, in Jersey and like, there's a couple guys in there that hunt central Jersey and they kill, I mean, hammer deer, but they have five, six hundred acres, but the pressure, you know, a couple farms I hunted the deer behave a lot better than, than the public. I wouldn't say it's Midwestern like, but 
the deer come out in fields. They, they, they daylight at four o'clock in the afternoon. You're like, what the fuck is this? Like, I'm not used to this. Like hunting field edges and hedgerows. I'm like, it's foreign to me because I don't do it. So I, I sit in field edges or hedgerows and I feel naked because I'm like, what am I doing out here? There's nothing going to happen. And then four o'clock, deer just pile out in the field and you're like, like this really happens. Like it, it's, you know, very you know, TV ish, if you will. And, you know, the, the pressure area gets extreme pressure, most of them, you know, and you can find some little pockets here and there with no pressure, but these deer have been pressured their whole life. So it don't really take much, you know, for them deer to alter into survival mode, you know, and we have that early season in September, you know, second week, but you have to shoot a, a doe before you can shoot a buck, which is just earn a buck. They call it like I've passed so many good deer, like opening morning, like here comes a hammer. And I'm like, I was just, there was a, a group of does here all week long opening morning. Here comes the hammer. I'm like, Hey, all right. Never seen you before, but you know, it's like a very frustrating time in, uh, September, but a lot of people are running cameras. A lot of people are baiting, running minerals. So they're pressuring deer even before the season starts. You know, and I, I've noticed that change in the last 10 years. Uh, it, I'll say last five years, it's gotten extremely difficult to get on good bucks, you know, without really, you know, blowing them out, you know, because you know, a prime example last year uh, in, in Delaware, pretty much high pressure area. These bucks were coming out into the field, the bean field, this little pocket. And I had a camera there all, all summer. And then we decided to go down there and, and hunt it. And I pulled the camera like after the third day, because we seen some trucks there. So we didn't hunt it. It's a bunch of boot tracks. A guy walked for like three days for a season. A hunter walked the edge of the field with his family. You know, walked the beans, the bucks, big old December came in, smelled it, gone. Like, so there was a whole week, like he was there, like for hours on end. Like I got hundreds and hundreds of pictures here in, in a short time. Like it was his core area. He smelled one human and was out and all the other smaller bucks still came out. But the, like the two mature ones were like, nope, we're out. So it just took one encounter with a human and farmers walked that field edge all the time. You know, like human sense, not foreign to them. But it took a guy that was a little more human scent, probably dipped in the woods a little bit. And that buck was like, ah, deuces. And it was like, never seen him. We, we hunted down it. We hunted him pretty hard. And he just was never be found again. Didn't, you know, my buddy was hunting there a few times. Nothing. I think so. <clears throat> that I wish every hunter could learn that lesson quick because man, there are situations where you can bump them around and they're not that sensitive to it. But when you're dealing with deer that are, it's an eye opener. I I had that happen to me. It must've been about three years ago in Minnesota on a private farm that I have where it's like, you might kill a good one opening night on a field. Like you just might, cause they're, they're, they're not onto it yet. And I had a, I had a spot the year before I killed a, a really good one opening night and so I hung a camera there the next year, yeah. still alfalfa, like, yeah. may, you know, maybe, right? Yeah. And I had quite a few good ones coming out using it, like fighting in the field right by the stand. Like, I was like, yeah. this is going to happen again, you know? And I should know better because <laughs> I never do, lightning never strikes twice for me. Like, if yeah. I kill a buck here, I might as well write that spot off forever because it's over. Yeah. But I had a, that camera on video mode and... I went out there and it wasn't a cell camera. I went out there and sat opening night, saw a few does. It was just dead. So I checked the camera 
and the day before the season, I had a different hunter walk in there, walking his dog, blasting Motley Crew. Like you can hear the whole thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, and walked in there onto the trail that those bucks come out and hung a camera on it. And he even had his daughter with him. And his daughter said, whose camera is yeah. that? Like I heard the whole exchange yeah. <laughs> and just shut it down. I mean, they yeah. were just like, we're not using this anymore. Yeah. And I just wish like, I wish you could know like that's that impact is like it's not little like that can be a really bad deal and so you think about it we never look at that for ourselves like it's always this dipshit that walks in there that you're like oh i hate that guy because he blew my deer out we never think we're the dipshit but we are all the time (laughs) yeah and the more that you 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 hunt those kind of deer the more you learn like your presence is is big well that's i remember you know we grew up like i said a long time ago but reading articles from miles keller like his thought process, like ground scent, you know, and all that stuff like ground scent is so important to understand how your scent is, what you're going to set. You're going to leave like tall grass, short grass, do dewy grass. And if you, if a big buck cuts your track, you know, and it's fresh with a new pressure area, they know uh, of a two hour track versus, you know, a, a two day old track, but they know humans in here and you're, they're usually not here. They're going in survival mode. For the most part, most bucks, you know, uh, there might be a few outliers that just like they're so crafty, they don't really bother them. But I think any buck that's been shot at, been any, any time a, a hunter stops a buck, meh, that buck knows, like, well, I know what that is, you know. So it's like those moments, you're just educating those deer. You're going and checking your cameras, you know, or hunting the wrong winds, you know, your ground set, not paying attention to your entry and exit. It, it really, you're helping the deer and you're hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you find, you know, being in a state, New Jersey, it's a little bit weird because a lot of states allow baiting on private, but not public, but it's wide open there. Do yeah. you see like with your trail cameras, you go pop a trail camera on a, on a tree. Do you see like, do you get negative reactions on that? Cause I know, you know where I hunt in Wisconsin, they can bait yeah. and man, if I put a camera out and those, those deer blow up on it, yep. like they are yep. not tolerant of it. Yeah. They, uh, some of the higher end models, um, like I, I don't buy high end models <laughs> anymore cause I get a lot stolen. So I, I buy cheaper ones and they're noisy. There, there's something going on. There's an audible click, you know, you can barely hear it, you know, or like the red, anything, any camera I got that's red, then deer onto it. they, they're spooky. They're cagey, especially video moves that stays red a long time. You see, especially like older does, older does are the worst. I mean, they get up to it and they smell it. And, you know, so I try to set my cameras up high yeah. and I, I, I do, I do my best to wear rubber gloves and rubber boots when checking cameras. Cause I know like you're, especially when it's hot out, you, you touch your face. I know it's not going to help much, but it does help some, you know, to get your scent up a little bit higher and, not to be touchy grabby with the bark, you know, uh, especially a does mature does in Jersey are, I think they're harder to hunt than a mature buck because you have her plus her whole, you know, 30 other deer she bred in the last five years with her, you know, if she's on to something, all the rest is on to something. Yeah. They, but yeah, nobody, we've, we've done episodes on this. I've written about this. Nobody talks about <laughs> that. How, how a game does are. Thank you. Yeah. And he, when you talked about Ernabuck there, <clears throat> I, you know, when I first started hunting Wisconsin, some parts had Ernabuck and man, you want to be reminded that you're not the greatest deer hunter in the world, <laughs> have to shoot a doe before you can kill a buck that can, that can give you like 
anxiety attacks. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. when it all of a sudden, when you're not just like, Oh, at any given point in the season, if a doe walks by a might shooter, when you're like, I have to target one and I have to yeah. make it happen. That's a different deal. Yeah. It's uh, I shot his old doe. I had her aged out. She was eight and a half and I hunted her. She had short little stubby legs. You know, I knew it was her, but she was a matriarch, you know, and there was this old wooden stand every time, like falling down. Every time she went by this stand, she would literally rustle her feet in the leaves to get that, you know, cause I'm sure when she was a fawn, you know, a yearling, her mom showed her or a hunter was in there. So she would literally stare at the stand. It's falling down in a tree, but she knew that was danger. So anything that was like horizontal up in the, up in the air, she was not having it. And whenever I hunted, she would pick me out. I don't care if I was, you know, 10 feet on the ground or 20. She came in that woodlot. She would just like look around and she would peg me every time. I finally killed her in winter bow for a first day of winter bow a few years ago. And she came in blowing. The wind was good. She came in the woodlot blowing. I don't know why, but she was on edge. She came in. I had good ground. Like I, everything was perfect. She was on edge. Like she just knew I was in that woodlot. And she got all the way up to my tree, you know, like came right out to the base of the tree. I'm like, she knows exactly where I'm at. You know, I, I bounce all around, but she got in that woodlot. And I don't know if she see me like skylighted, you know, in the, in the dark, whatever. But she came right to the base of the tree in the dark and then kind of pulled out and right at first light. I just let her have it, you know, and it was like the, the greatest accomplishment as far as like winter bow hunting or even, you know, she was a big doe, old doe, like teeth, like she had a big infection in her face. She, she probably would have died. You know, she had like three babies in her, but she was probably the toughest deer I've ever hunted. And I specifically targeted her because she beat my ass so many times. I was like, I got to kill you out of sheer principle. Like I can't go out like this. Well, I mean, think about an eight and a half year old deer that's like the equivalent of a 90 year old person who's never left their town, right? Like they live in a town of 8,000 people and they've never left it their entire life. Like they know everything, you know what I mean? That deer has been out there every day for eight and a half years. Like you're not, you know, you hang a new stand, you hang a new camera and she walks by, she's going to be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. She was, uh, those cagey does are, are, you know, and they blow up a lot of my good spots, especially like during the rut. Like they have a, they have a better sense than I think the bucks, you know, cause bucks are love, you know, come November, they're just, you know, love struck zombie walking, paying attention half the time. But those does always are always on alert. Yeah. I think that's one of the sort of unspoken real challenges of being a public land hunter primarily is, you know, if you, if you get on really badass private land, a lot of those does get a lot of passes. Like they, you know, just like the bucks do. Right. But you get on public land and those deer, even if they're coming into a bait pile and they weren't going to get shot by this guy, the next bait pile, somebody's going to shoot at them and they spend their whole life on a hit list or everybody's hit list. Uh And that cumulative pressure is real. And you, you have to beat them if you're going to get a buck. And it's not, it's like, we kind of, it's sort of like a throwaway thing. We don't really give enough credit to, but it's a big problem for a lot of people. Yeah, it's uh, I killed a doe and opened a night this year, and I was like, man, this is the year. And I didn't see sh- until like end of October, like September. I was just getting just gut punched by the deer. Like I wasn't seeing no bucks. I was like, I got a buck tag for the first time in years, and nope, it was like a ghost out, man. I was like, and I really weren't wasn't even seeing the does. And I was like, man, I just wanted to just shoot something. It was just a it was a very 
difficult season. And I and all that scouting I did you know, like the year prior, last couple of years, in so many spots. It was like I never even scouted. The sign was not there. The drops weren't there. The deer weren't there. And I'm kind of curious now because I still have cameras out that I set in like September in so many spots. Like I just want to go and see like if it turned back on, you know, like our season just got over 31st of January. So I'm just starting to start, uh, start my scouting stuff now. So I'm kind of curious to see where these deer went and maybe it's food, oaks, different crops could be pressure, bait piles. I need to figure it out because like I worked on my entry and exits. I did all this, everything that you're supposed to do. And it was like, there's just nothing here. And you feel kind of defeated because you have like, this is the year. This, everything's going to happen. And like nothing. So it's like, I like that. Cause it's like, I got my butt kicked and I, I love that. I love having that like thrown in my face. Every time I go out, come in, I'm not seeing a deer. And I'm like, all right. So all right. What, okay. what is like, your gotta, plan then though? So you come off a season. Cause I think there's a, a really good lesson there. <clears throat> and, a, and a lot of people I'm talking to are like, man, I got my ass kicked last year. Like I, you know, just, it just happens. But so you've had cameras out there soaking. So you'll get a pretty good glimpse into what was happening through those. It's not going to answer all your questions. Yeah. What's your like winter scouting strategy to go, okay, next year, this isn't happening to me. I'm going to be on yeah. them more. What, yeah, are you, what I, are you looking at? I'm, I'm looking for, because like I said, the, the, the rub lines and the, and the, you know, those rubbing areas, those staging areas weren't there. So they got to be somewhere else, you know, and I need to figure out like where they went. And I do believe it's going to be, it's most likely food or pressure. I got to figure out maybe somebody was coming in from private. Cause some of the spots, it's like, you got one trailhead. The only way to get to some of these spots, like you got to park here. There's no other way around it. So maybe somebody's coming in by four wheeler, you know, e-bikes. Like I need to figure out what changed from the, these last couple of years. So for me, it's trying to go back to the drawing board and having like a, a clean slate, like, all right, there's nothing here. I, I grid search this during hunting season. I didn't find anything. So now I'm going to go here and just like quadrant scout it, you know, because I got kids and wife. So I have little four hour blocks on the weekend. So I like to just, I'm going to scout this 500 acre piece. I'm going to break it up into four blocks, you know, and then for, you know, Saturday, Sunday, two weeks in a row, I'm going to scout these, you know, up and down, up and down, zigzag them and really hopefully uh, either write that place off or see what I need to see. And usually it said it's pressure and food could be somebody with a ladder stand and they could be baiting all summer. You know, who knows? I have to go find out why it happened. When, when you break a property up like that and you talk about winter scouting it, you know, we talk all the time about looking for rubs. You know, if you don't have any snow, you can look for last season scrapes, trails, whatever the, the usual but it sounds like you're looking for a lot of human sign too. Yes. And that's like, for me, I know that's like ha <clears throat> half the battle on public. I'm yeah. like, where are the stands? Where are the piles of garbage? Like where, yeah. where are the tack trails? Is that what you're looking for too? Yes, exactly. I'll go out at night too. Like I'll get out, you know, <coughs> and it's super early when it's still dark out and look for eye shine. Cause I, I know, you know, you can go to, you know, see eye shine. Every eye shine I see, I go up and look at it. If it's an old tack, rusty tack, if it's the new triangle shape one or whatever square ones. And I know in certain areas where there's never been eye shine. I'm like, well, that's new. I need to see where that's going, you know? And like going in the daytime, you don't know that. So I'll go in at night, late night, early morning, 2 AM. If I can't sleep, I'll go out in the woods, look for eye shine, you know, near the trailhead and stuff like that. I try to do things that most people won't, 
because like we talked about earlier, there is no secrets out there, yep. you know? So it's like, there is no secret, you know, trailheads or canoe launches, you know, or, or anything. Now there's e-bikes, you know, <laughs> canoes, kayaks. So I just try to go where people aren't. Cause if you're seeing people, you're not seeing big bucks, yep. you know? So you avoid the people. I find you'll start to see more deer sign. And to break it down a little bit further is, Rub size. If I'm finding a bunch of saplings rubs all over the place, you know, like little rubs, you know, it's a little dinker. If there's a bunch of them, it's probably a doe group with, you know, uh, it's her first year, you know, so she might be trailing around. So I'm looking for bigger deer sign, taller rubs away from people, away from human sign. Do you, uh, so you don't give a whole lot of like credence to small rubs? On, on, on average, no. Um, but sometimes they will. If it's a rub line, yes. But if it's like just, yeah. you know, in oaks, you see where there's like rubs and scrapes all over the place. Usually it's just young deer doing that. You know, I'm looking for that isolated big old scrapes or I just need one big hammer rub to get me excited. Yeah. You know, like if I see one good tall rub and by hammer, I mean, not necessarily diameter, but height. Yep. You know, I, I want to, I want to see time marks up in my chest. Yep. That like, all right, there's a, a, a wider deer here or a deer with longer times, yep. you know, because if I'm seeing rubs that are like a foot off the ground, eh, you know, I'm, I'm, I doesn't necessarily get me excited. Yeah. I'm, Unless it's a, a, a trail, like a, a, a rub line, like I'll follow them back. I love rub lines because you find some hidden gems, you know, especially big woods. You find it a long time. Like it's hard to follow a rub line. If you can mark it now on your, on your, whatever software you're using, you know, and you can kind of see how these deer are moving through different types of terrain. You know, you go back to Google earth and you look at the time of year, like, Oh, he's following this, you know, this, this soft edge in, in the mature hardwoods there that you don't necessarily see unless you were actually walking that same rub line that the deer was. Yep. I mean, I, I think that's one of the, you know, I've talked about this a lot. Like I'm, I'm not a big bed guy. Like, I, I mean, I like them, whatever, but I don't, I don't build a strategy around finding individual beds very yep. often, but man, I, my favorite winter scouting is in big woods stuff. And if I find that like knob or something where there's a, there's like a big buck bed on there, it's like, you're going to stand there and spin 360 and you're going to see a rub line going down here to the Creek bottom and a rub line. go. And it's like, he's, it's like, you're talking about with those eyes shine. If somebody leaves tack trail out there, it's like, okay, I know exactly where you started, exactly where you ended when you walk into and out of the woods, when you stand, when you find those situations and you can read that rub line, you're like that information so valuable yeah and but, like I said, i'm i'm primarily a bed guy uh especially in like october like i, I have a lot of success hunting a singular bed but it's always the 90 percent of the time it's the rubs that lead me to that bed and so it's you, like hold on a second so when you're winter scouting you'll find rub concentrations and you'll tie that into finding a bed to hunt in october yes it, yeah if i find like a rub line like uh, you know you want to see kind of where like may pull up on a map, like, where's it going? Like maybe there's a thicket over there. I find a lot of beds, believe it or not, by accident, by following deer trails. Like I walk through, I'm like, man, there's really nothing here. You look down, you're standing in a giant, well-worn bed. You're like, I end up here. I don't know how I got there, but you just follow the terrain and the, you know, the, the the vegetation. And it's like, Oh, look, there's a buck bed, you know? And then you, you sit there, look around, like you said, Oh, there's a rub or, you know, there's, you know, some buck sign over there or a you know, big track or something. So I, I rubs and beds. I'm not a big food guy. Um, 
you know, I, I don't have muscle hunting specific food. You know, I, I'm trying to get good at deciphering food and different types of bark, but uh, my brain can only handle so much information, you know? Do you, do you think that partially your strategy, you know, of, of paying attention to rubs big time and then hunting beds is just built around the fact that you're, you're in a state where, man, it, when everybody can bait a, a food pattern, isn't the same yeah. thing. Yes, like you're exactly. not, you're not dealing with uh, the same kind of food situation that you would be yeah. in a state without bait. Yeah. It's the first week or two, you might get some beans, the bucks coming out their beans, but I'm never rarely on the field edge. Like it's probably a hundred yards. It's probably the closest I'll get to a field edge the first two weeks. And even that's a, a that's a tough sell sometimes, you know? Um, but yeah, the food being food everywhere prevalent. And so I kind of just adapted to like the bed hunting because a big buck, he'll get up out of his bed and he won't move very far. Like I've seen, like I've, I've set up on beds. I've watched a buck get up mill around in his bed, take a few steps. And you're talking 40, there's 45 minutes of light left. He don't move. He just doesn't move till dark. Then yep. it's like, oh, and now I'm stuck in this tree. Cause there's like one trail out of this. Like he's coming my direction. I'm like, well, this is great. I'm gonna be here getting bit up by bugs, you know? <laughs> Cause it's like, it's hot, you know? And it's like, and you're losing that game, you know, if you will, because he's going to smell you. You're in, you're in his, his comfort zone. Well, that spot's gone. So, I have no problem going to the next. Like I do a lot of scouting. I have a lot of spots, you know? So it's like one spot blows out. I'm like, peace out. I'll go somewhere else. Is, is that a function of being a public land hunter? Because I know, I mean, my whole thing about winter scouting is just to give myself options because I know yeah. that even if I'm perfectly careful on a little setup that I really yeah. like, it's maybe two sits. Yes. And it's over. Right. And so often, even before I get in there, it's done for whatever reason. Yeah. It doesn't matter what reason it's gone. And it's like, yeah. you can't get married to any one thing because it's so fleeting. Yes. It's, uh, I don't have, you know, let's say a, I'm kind of stubborn, but I don't hold on the spots, you know, like I'm stubborn for areas, but like a particular tree. Nope. You know, if it's not there, like I said, one sit, usually I'm gone. Uh, especially in like October, because I get I get really aggressive, especially in the morning. Like I'm I'm going there usually. Like come October, every one of my sits, like I'm going to kill, especially like in the morning. I love mornings, so a lot of my scouting is devised, you know, to capitalize on the October, you know, the law, I guess is what they call it. So morning sits in October. I have the most success hunting in the morning. I see a lot of big bucks at seven thirty in the morning when most people say they they're they're in bed before dark. Not always, Not you know. Close. So it's like it's a lot of my yeah, a lot of my scouting. I mean, all these deer behind me, there there's only one that's killed at night. They're all mornings, you know, from seven to eight p.m. You know, or seven to eight a.m. So a lot of my scouting is for morning setups in October, and then come November, it's just like you know, it's a free for all. You know, find the does, you find the box, basically.
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at FishingBooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. Is your strategy, you know, find find a place where a buck's bed and find an individual bed um, and then figure out a way to get in there and beat him back there in the morning in October? Yes. Yes, man, exactly. nobody talks about that. And it, so again, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think I'm right. This is probably a function of there's crazy, you know, a crazy amount of hunters in around opener. Everybody's yeah. running their bait sites. Everybody's excited. And then they go, this isn't that much fun. I'm going to wait until Halloween to really get after it yeah. again. And you have yeah. that two or three week window in October on public land, where even if your pressure is 50% of what it is at peak, yeah. that's a big difference and then if you yeah. think well now i'm gonna hunt a morning yeah. now you've dropped another 30 percent of that pressure down and it's like you can hunt the deer for a couple of weeks yes they i don't say they get uh, they get less edgy but i think they know like I said the, the human pressure because they're born in the pressure so if you come in and, and you add pressure stink you know you know whatever it might be that buck's not going to run to the next county he's got nowhere to go yep. he's just going to just avoid the area and make a a, a slight change he's not going to go, you know, 300 yards or a mile away. He's just going to shift his bedding or his route 56 yards sometimes. That's just nuts. That's because sometimes he doesn't, have, he doesn't have the space to go. And he's not going to go walk through open timber or a field edge. He's going to 
goes to the next available thick cover, which usually it's 50 or 60 yards. It's not very far. So he's just, he's adapting to the pressure. He's not like freaking out about it because, you know, it's life, it's business as usual for them. You know, and I think a lot of people get that mixed up. Like I, I bumped a buck, he's gone. No, he's gone for a couple of days. You know, he's going to alter things, especially if he gets out of his bed, like super clean, yeah. you know, like his bed worked. He's not going to abandon that. You know, like you're going to abandon like uh, uh, something that saves your life, basically. No. Yeah. So, well, I mean, that's that's the way to look at it, right? Is it, when you get out there and you're scouting right now, you're looking for those places where they're they're showing you, I was here and this place gave me some advantages. Yes. yes. You know, yes. E- even if you stumble through there or a woodcock hunter goes through there or yeah. whatever, it's not like they're going to ab- abandon that completely. That because yeah. that place gives them advantages, and and it's not yeah. like if that buck gets killed, another one isn't going to figure that out. Yes. and those those kind of situations are so important. Yes, and like we talked about the ground scent, walking ground scent is different than like setting a tree stand up and sitting or sitting on the ground scent. Like when you're sitting there for long periods of time, like your scent is just saturating everything, and and a mature doe or a mature buck, like they know that. Like this human stopped here for a long time. But a walking trail, you know, it's like, it's just, it's the sense there, but it's not as uh, perceived as a threat so much. Like they know something's up, they'll back up a little bit, but they don't get that big whiff of like, oh my God, those humans here, you know, just stinking it up for hours on end. Or a guy that hunts the same tree, you know, 30 times a season, you know? Dude, dude, I remember uh, a couple, uh, six, seven years ago, I was hunting Wisconsin and I was hunting uh, just this punk, this chunk of public land. And I had gone in and set up in this spot and I actually saw quite a few deer off of it. Didn't kill one, pulled my set out, you know, next day I was going to go in where I saw, saw these bucks chasing and it snowed that night. And I remember walking down through there cause it was off of this, this little two track. And I walked by the tree that I was in the day before, and there was all these sets of deer tracks in the snow coming up to it. Yeah. There wasn't anything left yeah. in there, but they're just yeah. like, somebody caught a whiff of it, checked it out. And then you could just see like after hours <laughs> when it was dark, they yeah. were like, okay, some asshole was in here. <laughs> like yeah. They're aware of this. And I think and that stuff happens, dude, all the time. And then I've told the story a few times I was hunting the salt marsh and, uh, like brackish salt marsh area. And I had this big old buck come in, two bucks come in and it's, you know, earn a buck. So you know how that goes. And he leaves him and the seven pointer leave. And then kind of look back and right here comes a smaller buck coming right to the base of my tree. I mean, he came, he caught my ground scent way up there. And he came right to my tree and I'm looking at him. I'm like, man, that big buck's around here somewhere. I'm looking all around, looking all around. He's back in the shadows looking for humans up in the tree. And he sees, we make eye contact and then he just backs right up in the dark, disappears. He sent that little buck to go die basically because I beat him and he did not want to, he wanted to know who beat him, where he was, and how they got there. And I was like, wow, like how are you supposed to kill a deer like that? Like, and this deer was old, stiff, like he walked with like arthritis. You're like, he's seen some stuff, man. But that deer, I beat him and he literally sent his his best buddy to die. Basically, well, there you go, Bob. See where this see where dangers come from, and he's looking up the trees. So I'm like, that is just unreal. Like, how is that even possible for a a prey animal to evolve to that you know that level where he wants to know what beat him and he wants to see him in the tree? Like, he needs to validate that ground scent. Like, 
And now, you know, like he probably, you know, went in hiding that, you know, probably became strictly nocturnal at that point, you know? Dude, I think there's such a good lesson there. And I, I know people will listen to that and say that's BS. There's, there's no way they can communicate that yeah. way. Listen, man, I, I think the way that they're in tune to each other, is, we can't yeah. even understand it. You, I don't, have you ever hunted mule deer before? No. Man, if you hunt like high country mule deer where, you know, like your typical like late August Colorado hunt where you're glassing up the big velvet bucks, you'll see those deer. They'll be like a 170 and, you know, three or four smaller bucks, right? Yeah. And, you know, they're bachelored up, but they're in the high yeah. country. Those suckers will bed down and that big buck will be in the best spot, yeah. guaranteed. And then there'll be this little sentry buck here on this point and this one here. And you start reading it and you go, you know, they, they didn't probably like plan that. Like, they're not saying, okay, you bet here, you bet here. Yeah. It's just like nature shakes out that way. And it's like this, this little dude's got this corner. This little dude's got this yeah. corner. This dude's above. And it's like, whether it's like intentional or totally just like a survival accident, they're unapproachable. Yep. And you go like, that's, it doesn't matter whether they did it on purpose. Cause they beat you already. Yep. And I just, I think yep. that stuff's incredible. And that's too, what, what you see that with doe bedding. Oh, big you know, when you find like doe bedding, they bed a group of does, you know, especially like in the marsh, you know, you, in the salt marsh, you see they bed down in the reeds. It's one's pointed this direction. One's going this way. One's going this way. They're covered a full 360. And it's like, it's ridiculous. It's almost like, you know, like a fly, when geese land in the field. You had the feeders and you had the sentries. There's always somebody watching. And I think you would like early season, it could be tough, you know, because bucks are grouped up, but you hit that beginning of October, then bucks start to separate, you know, and that's when that big one goes off on his own. And I find it's easier to kill a buck, a single deer, because he just has two eyes and two ears and two noses. You don't have four bucks behind him. Everybody, you know, scents going everywhere. So it's like, or a group of does bedding. So, a singular buck in October, he's going from point A to point B. So you find out where he's feeding, find out where he's bedding. You know, it doesn't always work out that way, but he's walking, he's taking his time. Shots are readily available because he's in no hurry to get back to the bed. You know, back to that 730, he's still meandering back to his bed. Like it's a good time to be in the woods if you understand. I think, you know, if your scouting helps you you know, break down these, these areas where they're finding where they're bedding and, you know, getting close. Like I get super aggressive, you know, and it's like, it's not for everybody. I don't recommend that. There's a lot of times I get busted, you know, when it's dark out and it's like, well, all this work for nothing, but it's like, well, it worked. He was here. So it's like, it's a win. It's just an hour and a half too late, too soon. <laughs> yep. Well, I, I think what you're talking about there is an interesting point. Cause I, I feel the same way when I, I love, the October low. Like I love middle of October when, when people say you shouldn't be out there. Cause I think you get a point where those bucks, like you said, they're, they're not hanging out together generally and mm. they get confident. Like it, it's almost like they're overconfident about their safety. If they're in a really yeah. good spot, you don't see that with does. Does are always kind of neurotic and like yeah. <laughs> they're worried about keeping the little ones alive, but you see bucks and it's like a, it's a, a weakness. I think you can exploit because yes, you know, like you said, you watch that buck bed down and it's like, you know, you're ticking down to the last couple minutes of shooting light. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they get up, sometimes they don't, but a yeah. lot of times they do. And it's just like, they're just so confident they're safe there that they'll get up and go make a rub and start working their way down the trail. And yeah, yeah they won't be to the field for until it's a half hour after dark, 
but they moved enough for you to kill them. And they just act like they're just king shit. Like they don't have the same kind of danger. And that that's when you kill them. Yeah. And that's, it scares a lot of people because it's, you know, being a, you know, hunting a particular buck, anybody's hunting a particular buck or mature deer in general, we don't have a lot of mature deer in New Jersey. So there might only be one four-year-old, some of the pieces of hunting and a bunch of two and a half year olds. You know, if you do all this work and I've had good access, good entry, you know, good, everything, everything was good. You know, and daybreak comes, you know, here comes the spike on the net bed. And it's like, well, all right. You know, like all bucks are using this bed, which is good. You know, like my thought process guy in that piece, like, all right, this is a good spot for a buck to bed. Like it didn't work out for me that time, you know, and that scares a lot of people uh, getting that aggressive. You're going to chase, you're going to scare them away. Man, they ain't going anywhere. They got nowhere to go. Like, where are they going? Hop on a plane and go somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, that, that, I, I think we're in a weird place with that kind of mentality right now, though, because, you know, the, the, the hunting industry in general sold us this idea that you should be super cautious because the, that was coming from people who could afford to wait. They didn't yeah. have, they didn't have any, you know, like didn't do them any good to go in on October 10th when nobody was going to hunt their deer at all. So like, yeah. yeah, if you're preaching that message, like, well, you shouldn't go in. It's like, well, you shouldn't go in because you don't yeah. have to, but if you're hunting yeah. a place that's got a lot of pressure, like, yeah. and, and you've scouted a lot, like you might as well strike now. Yeah. And if you don't make it happen, I mean, that's why you winter scout now. So like when yeah. you do and blow it up, you just move on to plan B yeah. or C or D or whatever. Yeah. Like I, I've tagged out in like the first week of October and been like, shit uh what do i do now it's like well delaware or pennsylvania here i come you know because i can't get another buck tag till you know the end of october you know but it's like it's cool to tag out early but at the same time we're like it's over <laughs> like i don't want it to be over like i want to struggle a little bit more you know and so it's like it's a it's a rewarding part of hunting you know and i've i think it was andre or or, or maybe dan that talked about it's not being you know, you're not being careless or aggressive. You know, you're being calculated in your setup. You're not just like throwing your cautions to the wind. Like, you know where he's bedded and you're going to come in, you know, and the wind's going to be perfect for him, awful for you. You're like, you're, you're, you're that razor's edge and you're going like, but it's not aggressive. You're it's just, it's very, you're, it's very tactical and very thought out you know, because that's the only time you're going to get a chance to that deer, you know, because it's, you know, once October, you know, Halloween hits, that bucks, you know, berserker mode, running here, there, everywhere. So I love that October. I love scouting for October, you know, and like, I think most of my winter scouting is for those October moments. And it's just like. When you're focusing on rubs when you're winter scouting now, I mean, I think there's a, I think there's sort of a misconception if you go out and just find a place like you were talking about that's just ripped up and you're like, mm-hmm. man, they were here. This wasn't just one buck. This was, and they're yeah. good ones. I think people go out, you know, in February, March, whatever. And they, they see that and they go, man, I'm getting here on November 3rd and I'm sitting all day. And I look yeah. at that and I go, why don't you get there on like October 20th and, yes. and kill them? And it could be because of that, that wild card of when the ruts, you know, even really the pre ruts, like kicking in that concentration of sign might not really matter that much that you found that's, in March. That's funny. You said October 20th. That is my day. I've killed five or six bucks on October 20th. And that is the, the trail camera day. And my visual site, that is the day to be in the woods, 18th to the 21st. 
it's a lot of day walk, a lot of big bucks are on their feet. Maybe they're just checking the scene out, see where the food is, the does are, the human pressure is, and they go back and hiding. Maybe they get lucky, find a hot doe, you know, but I think they, they get up and that urge to breathe and to know what's going on. They have, they can't be super secretive. You know, they have to, you know, because I think older bucks want to breathe one, one or two times, maybe three times. And like, they're good. That's enough for them because they've been through enough seasons where it's survival. You know, they've been shot at, they've been hit, maybe wounded. They're not going to run, you know, like a two-year-old all over the woods chasing one or two. And some of these boxes is retreat back to safety, security. I I think that that's like, I think that's a really good thing to acknowledge because when you look at how often we kind of talk about this stuff, I think people don't associate, they just think, okay, I'm going to winter scout and it's going to be, it's just a general plus the general yeah. benefit for me in the fall. It's like, I don't know. I mean, finding rubs, a concentration of rubs right now in the woods probably doesn't do you that much good on opening night next year. Maybe yeah. not for the first opening week because of the, all the people who might be out there or yeah. whatever. But when those deer get into that, like, okay, I know I'm getting hunted. I know I still want to do my thing, but like you're talking with those bucks, I'm not going to be running all over the place. I'm not showing myself in daylight out in the fields that's the connection here. Like there's like a March to October connection. That's like so beneficial. And I think people kind of just like, they don't understand that it's not just a general seasonal benefit. It's just like maybe, maybe three weeks, maybe, maybe four weeks, but it's real important. Yeah. And, and scout with a purpose, you know, if you're, if your vacation is November, you're going to Iowa, you know, and if you get a chance to scout Iowa, whatever, it's like, I'm going to take a week off in November. Rub should not be on your list. You should be, Mark them. It's cool. You found them, but you should be focused on is those rubs near doe bedding, you know, and vice versa. So I, like I said, I purposely, most of my scouting is, is for October, you know, like I, it's just, you know, and I think the reason for that, when I first started hunting, you had to apply for a permit to hunt in November. Well, you weren't guaranteed a permit. Well, I've, I think my first two or three seasons, I didn't get November. My dad did. So I just had October yep. and I had to wait till gun season a week in December and then nothing until January. So it kind of, there are a few years not pulling tags, you know, getting a permit. You, you got, I got four weeks to kill something. So it's like, you get in that mode where it's like, this is it. I have to make these three or four weeks count. And it's just like, it's just kind of compounded through the years over that, you know? And then as you get older jobs, like I couldn't no vacation time. So it's like, well, come November, it's dark by the time we got off work, but not October. So it's like, I kind of just did the October thing because that's what I had. So it's like, I'm the worst rut hunter. Anybody tell you, talk to Clint, Johnny, like, like I've already killed maybe what? Three bucks in November, maybe four. I'm an October guy. Yeah. So it's like, I, I scout I'm, for October. I'm the same way. I mean, I, I've killed some bucks in November, but I'm way, way more successful in September and October. Yeah. And I, I mean, I should say this, you know, if you, if you get out there scouting right now, it's not like there isn't a rut benefit to it. I mean, you might find yes. a pinch point or a fence crossing mm-hmm. or Something, a river crossing, whatever. You might find a train trap where you're like, yep, this is a November 7th spot. But like, you got to know what you're looking at, right? Like that concentration of rubs might not be the November 7th spot. And understanding that and understand, but again, the more miles you put on and you find that stuff, the more you have those options as your season progresses. And it's, it's such an advantage. And I I remember either reading or hearing like Andy may talk about that, those rubs when those rubs pop up. At a certain time of year, you know, these rubs going to get hot, you know, and if you have a quick access, you can check out them like that bucks in here for 
only three or four days, you know, and that's when those rubs are kind of, you know, they're, they're hopping off. So you need to be there when it happens. Maybe it's the 20th of October, you know, maybe it's the 26th of October, you know, but you have to get out and check those big rub spots and be ready to hunt when you're out there. Cause sometimes you can't see it from the road. Like you got to be in there. So they all right, I'm going to go hunt this. And hopefully they're there. If not there, all right, give it a three day and come back in three days. You know, and you try to play that, you know, that three day, I, I do believe three day windows is key because that box will be here for a few days and he's gone for a few days and come back for a few days. And there's on a cycle, you know, like the yep. hunting the big mountain bucks. This is a constant cycle here in Jersey. It's just a smaller cycle because they don't have the, the ability to roam as far. Yep. I mean, I think, you know, when you, when you talk about Andy and he's talking about that, like you got that window there, you know, it might be a couple days here or, you know, you're talking about hunting in mid October when other people aren't. I think like maybe the most important lesson there from guys like you and Andy is you, you have to go out and learn when your stuff's going to be good or when, when it could potentially be good. Like if you're, if you're listening to a whole bunch of people in the hunting industry and they're telling you, you got to do this, you got to do that. And this is the best time there's, there might be some good stuff in there, right? Like there might be, but like your specific spot and all of these little variables that factor in there, like, okay, well you're in Jersey. There's a, you know, people can shoot five bucks. People can bait. People can do this. People yep. can do that. People can crossbow hunt. It's like, okay, you filter all that stuff down through there. Now, what do you have to do to be successful? Got to scout yes. a lot. <laughs> you got to find yes. new spots a lot. Like you got to, you got to put in the work and you could follow all the advice from a bunch of hunting industry people. And it wouldn't do you any good because your situation yep. does not mirror theirs in any way. And, you know, like I had a conversation this morning um, Giannis and I are both applying to Iowa together. He wants to come out and hunt Iowa and we, we have enough points to maybe draw. And he's like, well, we got to do this in November. Right. And I was like, I'm going in October. And he's like, well, that's the best option for me travel wise. But he's like, like, how do you think it's going to be? I'm like, yeah. it's going to be freaking amazing. <laughs> like yeah. we're going to, we're going to be all over deer and we're going to be there before. Cause we're going to be hunting public land if we draw. Yes. And I'm like, yeah. e- even though it's Iowa, I know on November one, there'll be the most people in the woods that there will be all season long yes. for the next 14 days. I want to get in there ahead of that when those bucks are starting to move a little bit and they're laying down yep. sign and everybody else is like, I'm waiting two more weeks or a week yep. and a half to kill them. I can't freaking wait. Yeah. That's and he said, and you got to know you, you're like your strengths, you know, like some people are better November hunters. Like I don't, I can see those, like, but I don't hunt those. So it's like come November, like I have a hard time shifting to doe mode yep. because September, October, it's like, especially October, it's bucks only. Like I always say, if you're seeing four or five pointers, six pointers, you ain't seeing the big buck. Cause he's completely separate from all those. If you're seeing a bunch of does in October, odds are you're not seeing a buck. So it's like, I get in so buck mode. And then like the rut comes, it's like, I can't turn it off. It's a very hard switch. And it's like these last couple of years, I've gotten better at it, but I, I had those a 10 year stretch. I didn't think I drew my bow back in November. And it was like, because I was strictly like, was so buck obsessed. Like I forgot. It's like, Oh, it's the right. And all my buddies are drunk, hung over, or just driving down the road, see a buck chasing down, go kill it. I'm getting up early. I'm taking canoe in or, you know, or, or taking a long way around and just getting my buck kicked because, I didn't know how to like how the, I understood how November worked, but I couldn't get out of my own way with the so fixated on mature buck beds and, and rubs. And it's like, so you need to know how your brain works and, and use that to your advantage. Like don't necessarily play to your, your weaknesses. Like if you're 
a November guy to go all in in November, man. Like you, you, you get it. If you're a September guy, got the food sources, go all in, play to your strengths when, when you're scouting. But I, I do think, you know, cause I'm not, you know, I've talked about this a ton, but you know, I live in Minnesota. We, our, our gun season starts the first Saturday of November every year. So I think this Ooh. year it's like November 4th or 5th. So, oh, you know, yikes. you got half a million gun hunters out there and the ruts just barely cranking. And so I was always September and October because by, yeah. you know, I never had a rut hunt to count on. And I found, you know, people say, well, hunt the doe bedding areas, hunt downwind of those doe bedding areas, whatever. For me to, to get over that rut hump, because like people are like, oh, it's, it's the best time. It's like always going to be the best. And then you go and actually hunt it. And a lot of times it really sucks especially yeah. on public land. It's like not nearly as good as it's supposed to be. I think it's a matter of being like good enough scouting to find some terrain traps you believe in and then having the willingness to be bored off your ass and disappointed and sit yeah. them and at least give every, you know, give a couple of them real dark to dark sits if yeah. the wind is working for you. And just because I've noticed this, like some of the bigger bucks I've killed in the rut they might be like the only deer I see that day, or I mm -hmm. might see like two deer or three deer, but the right one comes along, but you might have eight hours where you don't see a deer or two days. I, yeah. And it's, that's tough, man. Dude, I, I'm, I firmly believe in that. When I see a lot of deer in November, it's daybreak. If I've seen a bunch of does, it's always little bucks behind. And then come 11, between 11 and two, there'll be a singular buck that rolls through. Yep. Like very rarely, especially in November, I don't have much luck seeing big bucks early in the morning. Like it's, it's a, it's a rarity, you know, it's unless they're with a doe, like I don't get that chasing or that, you know, that what everybody wants. I rarely get that. I get that 11 to two, 11 to three, that single buck coming through and nose to the ground. And it's a tough, I mean, I was at full draw four times this year and no shots because it's thick, you know, it's like, Everything, my scouting, all that stuff works, but that buck was just moving too fast, too thick. And I'm like, well, I got a bow. I don't have a gun, you know? So it's like, these deer are like 20 yards and under and they're walking because, well, I'm not shooting through, you know, let's take a bush at a walking deer. Yeah. You know, I've been down that road before. It, it doesn't, it doesn't pay well. Not, not a good idea. Yeah. I, I have the same experience with, with bucks at 10, 11, 12, like early in the afternoon where you'll see the first deer and he's cruising through and you're like, yeah. you know, I, it reminds me of, I, I bow hunt turkeys a lot. And, you know, if you're out there early season, you know, here in Minnesota, it'll be mid April when it opens, you know, Nebraska will be early or whatever. But when you get them like flocked up, they're all roosting together. They're all feeding together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You have a million gobbles. Doesn't matter. You're not calling them away. And then yeah. like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, they start cruising and you'll pick that bird up, that two-year-old or three-year-old. It's like, I just, I got to go looking. It feels yeah. exactly like a lot of rut hunts where you're like, yeah, there might've been a bunch of action right away. But like you said, a lot of times it's not that 140. It's like yeah. scrappers and does. And then you get that die yeah. off. And then you're like, oh man, like this, <laughs> this, I haven't seen anything day. in three hours. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you see him come and you're like, there's something to it. Like they got, they yeah. got sick of the does they were with, or they gave up on it. And now they're like, I got to go find, I got to go yeah. to that next concentration. And that's when you kill them. Yeah. It's uh, I think you know, similarities between fishing and hunting and, and turkey hunting and, and hunting different things. I think there is a common core, you know, a thread between all of them. You know, like I hunt, I fish, I used to fish with stripers a lot in Cape May and you hunt the, the rips and you hunt points and these big fish, 
are down low, even though you had a big tail and they're super strong swimmers, they're using, you know, uh, the terrain to their advantage. So, you know, everything comes to them, you know, and then it's like trout fishing. You watch a big trout sit behind a rock. He's in that position, you know, cause it's advantageous to him to be in that position. I can eat easily, you know, it's like hunting turkeys and deer. It's like, it's very similar. If you're good at one, you can be good at a lot of different forms of, of hunting and or fishing. Dude, I, I talk about that. And I write about that all the time. I don't know if anybody believes me or not, but I think any time you spend out there hunting and fishing, you're learning how to be a better hunter or fisherman. Like, yes. I mean, the, the parallels there, I mean, the things that I learn about deer from pheasant hunting public land are amazing. Like it's, it's like a, a weird little education every time you go. And it's just cause you're out there with them. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's just, there's so many, like, I learned how to hunt mountains and the terrain, how deer use terrain from hunting, fishing streams, smallmouth streams, and hunting big reservoirs and the points where the big bass hide and they, they go um, you know, up and down, you know, these points. I learned how to hunt the mountains. I, had a, a, I learned how to hunt mountains and have success pretty quickly, you know, and I'm three hours away from the near set of mountains. So it's like, I went up there and I was like, it's just like fishing, you know, and it's like, there's the, the correlation was, it is identical. And it's like, it just mountain hunting clicked for me. It was like, I find it relatively easy, you know, cause deer can only travel so many ways in the mountains, you know? And I got that from fishing years of fishing. I fished every day. So when you're fishing, you know, if you're really a good fisherman, you're learning, watch what water does, what insects do, like how pressure, human pressure changes fish, changes the bite, you know, when it's, clear like heavy pressure fish go deep there's heavy pressure with deer but humans where do deer go they usually go deep there's a lot of you know a lot of similarities between the two yeah i I was literally talking to my daughters about this we were having breakfast the other morning and i don't remember how it came up but you know we fish all the freaking time we love Mm -hmm. to fish smallies and they like to hunt with me and we, we were talking about just like why we like doing stuff in the outdoors and I, oh, I think it came up because we were talking about training dogs. But anyway, I really think one of the ways that that makes you like, if you, if, if somebody's listening to this and they just started deer hunting and they're like, there's no way if I fish smallies, I'm going to get better at deer hunting. But you got to think about what are you doing when you're fishing smallies or you're trout fishing, you know, fly fishing trout, you're just solving a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're taking a, a set of conditions that were handed to you. Okay. The water's high. It's this color. It's. May 15th, you know, they should be on beds, but maybe they're not or whatever. And you start breaking it down. You go, okay, where should they be? You yep. know, is it a Saturday at two o'clock and they've already been, you know, thrown to 5,000 times or is it a Tuesday morning? Is it yep. July and there's a cold front or is it, you know what I mean? Like you start to factor in that stuff and it's like, okay, now you just, ha- you're, you're literally reading the weather and the the quarry and the conditions and the pressure and everything. And you're going, okay, what's my best chance? How, how is that any different than when you walk into yeah. public land, you're like, I got to kill a deer. What do I like? What are you filtering through your brain right there? Okay. Well, it's cloudy. Exactly. It's been cold for four days. It's Wednesday morning. It's not Saturday night. Like there's, you know what I mean? It's like, I think that you just partially get better because you're getting good at solving those problems. Yes. Agreed. I mean, hundred percent. And I, I think that's why, I, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of benefits to getting out there and doing a bunch of different stuff. Um, we, we're about done here, buddy. I got to ask you, 
Do you see, I, I always wrestle with this because, you know, I put together all this content on winter scouting and, you know, shed hunting is a little different. A lot of people seem to shed hunt now. Do you ever, like, do you run across people out there winter scouting? Like if you had to just ballpark it and I say, okay, take any 10 bow hunters out in Jersey, what percentage, how many of those dudes winter scout? What would you say? I'll say everyone will say they do, but I rarely see people. What do you think the real number is? Out of 10, I would say me and someone else. So two. Yeah. I I was going to say. I'll say actually, like most people are pulling their trail cameras. That's where their scouting ends. They're pulling the cameras. Like I'm getting in the habit of leaving cameras out. Like I don't really pull some of my cameras like March. Because I want to see, like I'll go put new batters in and check for people. So I know it's like, oh, this, this dude's been in here like four days in a row. He either found the banger set of sheds. He's trying to figure his deer out or he's seen a big deer and he's trying to find the shed. So I'm like, well, this dude's on something. So, all right, maybe I need to go in there and search a little bit more. You know, it's like, maybe I, I didn't get that deer on my camera, but if you catch somebody going into a spot a bunch of times, there's a reason they're in there. Yep. Do you, so you say maybe, maybe 20% of the people, I, I would say maybe 20% too. Like I wouldn't go much no. higher than that. I kind of, no. I kind of look at it like all day sits. Everybody talks about yeah. it. I don't, I don't think that many hunters actually do very many all day sits. All, all day sits are brutal. <laughs> you know what? Brutal. I don't know if this is cause I have kids now or what. I actually don't mind them that much. If it's not, if it, if the conditions aren't horrible, uh, yeah. but what, like what, so I, I want to wrap this up then. So you say we, we're on, we're in agreement here on 20% of the people might, yeah winter scout you know some people are out there shed hunting like you said some people are out there looking for trail cameras how important is winter scouting to you to your fall success like one not important at all 10 it's my favorite thing because it always helps me kill big bucks 10 yeah 10 11 12 100 like if it's everybody who's listening to this the maybe the most important thing we covered is just that right there not very many people do this and guys who are absolute killers go out and this is the time when they set the stage for those kills. Yes. Agreed. Majorly important. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been a blast. Yeah, I'm Pleasure. definitely going to get you on again. Oh, sweet. I enjoyed it. Thanks buddy. Later. That's it for this week, folks. Be sure to tune in next week for more whitetail goodness. This has been the wired to hunt podcast and I've been your guest host, Tony Peterson. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you're looking for more whitetail content, be sure to check out TheMeatEater.com slash Wired, and you'll see a pile of new articles each week by Mark, myself, a whole slew of whitetail addicts. Or you can head over to the Wired to Hunt YouTube channel to view the weekly content that we put up. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me... Enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. 
Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.